0: Revelation and a passage in the Bible and preaching expositorily. That's what we normally do, by the way, on Sunday mornings. If, if you're here today, this is your first time... Um Welcome. Uh, enjoy the, the story. Enjoy recounting the sabbatical. I encourage you to come back again and hear what our regular diet is, which is just going through a passage of God's Word, unpacking it, expounding it, seeing what God has from a specific passage. Today is going to be more of a bunch of lessons from God's Word, but primarily related to things that He showed to us and to me specifically while we were away. So um, if I was... Telling the story to the stranger about our sabbatical might be something along the lines of saying, you know, once upon a time, my, my wife and our six children, we set out on an almost eight-week, 10,000-mile, 26-state, two-country um, trip together in a 19-year-old RV. And then I would add the tagline, with the goal of being refreshed. <laughs> so... Um, as you might imagine, um, refreshment did occur, but a lot of other stuff occurred too. 26 states, 10,000 miles, six children, eight people in a box for eight weeks. So if you heard that, if you were a stranger, you might respond a bunch of different ways, and you probably responded a bunch of different ways just now, and, and as you heard about what we were thinking of doing, you're thinking, refreshing, really? And or, you know, boy, that's a lot of driving. Do you, do you like driving? Got that question, and my answer was no, I, I really don't like driving. And, or, you know, wow, what a great adventure. Or, wow, that's a lot of time together for eight people in an RV. And you'd be right. Or, you know, how, how did that old old RV go? How to it do? You know, 19 year old RV driving that far? How to it do? Or, you know, those are all legitimate questions, and I'll, I want to try to share some answers <laughs> to that. But most important question on my mind this morning and what I think I wanted to share with all of you is really what did God show me during our sabbatical? What, did, what are some of, the, some of the lessons I learned? I learned a whole lot more than I'd be able to share with you this morning, and I'm not going to try to shove everything down your throat about what I learned. But I wanted to just share with you a portion of what I learned, what we learned when we were away together. I, I expected to enjoy the time, but you know, there's a lot that I didn't expect. There's a whole lot that I didn't expect. Like how much focus it takes to drive a 38-foot RV with a 6-foot tow behind and 15-foot car behind that. I knew it took some focus, but I didn't know it took that much focus. And it was interesting, and it got a little taxing. I didn't expect how beautiful God's creation would be. You know, I've always been refreshed and enjoyed God's creation and being outside, but I didn't expect... Just how much it spoke of his glory and his majesty and his beauty. So I didn't expect all those things. I, I did expect we have a good time. And I also expected, that, you know what, we're, we're going to get along great. Because you know what, we're a Christian family. And we love each other. What could go wrong? It's going to be great. And, and it was. But there were some unexpected things there too. And I didn't expect though to see just how much I need God myself. Um, I, I didn't expect some of the mechanical problems that we encountered or different parks closing or things that we planned months in advance falling apart to some degree. And I didn't expect a lot of those things. But here's, here's what I saw is that through all those unexpected things, through all of those unexpected things, God revealed his faithfulness. You know, um, I'm going to share some things I learned on sabbatical. They're not new things, but you know what, so often in life, the lessons that God has for us aren't new necessarily, but he shows them to us in in new ways. And so I I heard some things that I needed to learn. I still need to learn. I'm I'm going to suspect that I'm going to need to learn these things the rest of my life. The most important thing I learned and what I hope you take away, if you just take away one thing today, is that in the midst of our plans, the unexpected God is faithful. In the midst of our plans, and by the way, our plans are not always what he has planned, In the midst of our plans, in the midst of all the unexpected of life, God is faithful. That was my big takeaway. I know it sounds kind of simple, but that's my big takeaway. In the midst of all my plans, in the midst of all the unexpected, in the midst of so many different things, God demonstrated his faithfulness in so many different ways. And so I'm going to share some things about how God demonstrated his faithfulness, some of the things I learned about how God's faithful, even if all of our plans don't go the way we want in the midst of unexpected, God's faithful, even when the unexpected is challenging. And you know what, even a wonderful time away can be really challenging, especially when you come to it with expectations that can't really ever be met to some degree. You know, Will, will a time away? Is that what brings us true refreshment? Well, no. God does. Is does a time away, does a vacation, does a sabbatical, does whatever? Does that bring joy? Does having your dreams come true? Does that bring joy? No, but but God brings joy. He brings fulfillment. He brings hope in the midst of all the unexpected, even when things are challenging. God's faithful. You know, there's a there's a verse that I I like to quote a lot. I'm a little more careful to quoting it now, but I like to quote it a lot. It's in Proverbs sixteen nine. It's I like the way the NIV puts it. It says, in his heart, a man plans his course. And so that's true. In his heart, our our desires. We plan out our ways. We plan out our course. And there's a really important but right after that. But the Lord determines his steps. You know, we planned out our course along the way, but we realized, you know what? All along the way, God had been planning out our steps. And that's true for all of us in all of life. We plan out our course, and there are unexpected things, there are unexplained things, there are difficulties and frustrations and challenges in life. We plan out our ways, and we're really confident. We're looking forward to those plans. Whether that plan might be hey, you're in high school and you are planning for a career, it might not turn out the way you think. You know, I had aspirations of doing different things than being a pastor. I did those different things for a while, but you know what? God directed my steps. And no matter what you're doing now, maybe you have just lost your job and it's not going like how you planned. God's directing your path. You can be confident He's faithful even when things don't go the way you want. Maybe you planned to have children and you struggle with infertility. You can trust that God is still faithful, that His plans, He's still directing your paths. Maybe you wanted to get married and you're not. Maybe you were married and you've been divorced. Maybe you've had all kinds of things happen. You can trust that although we plan out our ways, God directs our path. And there's hope and confidence in that for the believer. You know, I I wanted things to be a certain way. I planned out as much detail as I could. But you know what? Not everything went like I planned. Um, And that was good. In the moment, sometimes it didn't feel so good, but it was good. And God was one who directs and determines our past. And it's, a, you know, it's an interesting experience to be asked to go away. Um, <laughs> when, when Aaron and, and Doug and Chris and Dan, when they, when they asked, hey, would you, would you go away on sabbatical? I'm like, well, what? Like, what? you're trying to get rid of me? Like, what's going on? You know, I'm fine. You know, I, I love the ideas hy- hypothetically of a sabbatical, but, the, I, but then actually taking one, there was a little bit of trepidation of that. I felt a little guilt going away not only that you know it's like well how's the church going to do and all those things are going to go through your head and and um thankfully after i confirmed nothing was really wrong you know god worked to help me do what i should have done a long time ago now our church's manual says you know every seven years we'll take sabbatical well i've been here 12 years been pastoring for 20 years and this was the first time i took a break and it was a god provided time to step away from responsibilities and have god teach me things And I'm glad I God did. He showed me his faithfulness from start to finish to our family, and I think also to this church family as well. And so I'm going to share with you seven different things. I'm not going to be terribly long, but seven different things that I learned on sabbatical. And I trust it be a source of encouragement to you. The first thing I wanted to share with you is that God is faithful to provide and care for us. God's faithful to provide and care for us. Maybe you're wondering about God's faithfulness for you. I hope that you're encouraged to hear how God has faithfully provided and cared for us that you'll see that God does provide and care for his children and you begin to recognize how he, he provides, how he cares. Because sometimes they're subtle. Sometimes they're subtle. You know, there's a, there's a passage in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him. Cast all your worries, all your anxiety, your fears on him because why? Because he cares for you. That verse is even more real to us after we went away for a time that he has cared for us and he's cared for this church. God is faithful to provide and care for us. You know, the first time when somebody suggested we take a cross-country RV trip, we thought, I thought, you're nuts. I'm never taking a trip in an RV. across country I hate driving. Are you kidding? That sounds like something crazy. And then so many people kept suggesting. I thought, well, maybe I should look into it. And then we got to the place where we convinced that, you know what, this is what God has for us. And so You know what, maybe we'll buy an RV and then we'll plan to sell it when we get back because, you know, we can't afford to like buy a used RV just outright, but maybe we can buy it and we'll take a couple thousand dollar loss or whatever it is and we'll sell it. And so we went to do that and we bought an RV. It was a great experience. It broke down the first day after we bought it. It was wonderful. On the way home, (laughs) we were driving home from, um, North Carolina, way away, and after we pass, like I think Boone, and we're going somewhere between Boone and Blowing Rock in the Appalachian Mountains. And if you ever drove in the Appalachian Mountains, they're narrow roads through the Appalachian Mountains, and um, there's not a, no streetlights. It's dark. They're windy. They're, there's some places where things drop off, and so I'm driving this RV that we bought, and um, the dash lights go out, so I can't see anything. I'm like, ah, no big deal. Probably just a fuse. <laughs> Everything's still fine. About five minutes later, here's a little and um, the engines, I'm like, Abby, shine a flashlight over here on the dash. She was going, what's, what's that little, what's the little indicator light? And then she's like, oh, there's like a, an engine. Oh, <laughs> cool. Um, engine's overheating. All right, well, that's no big deal. I can go for a little while for an engine overheating. There's nowhere to pull over a 38-foot RV, though, so you have to go for a little while more. And then about two minutes later, all of a sudden, another one, eee! the second light comes up. I'm like, what's that, Abby? She shines a little flashlight on. Oh, it's got a little gear. Oh, good. That's a transmission. That's overheating. Nice. Okay, engine's overheating. Transmission's overheating. I got no dash. All right. So then that's fine. That's fine. We can, we can deal with this. Just as soon as the a place stop. and then a little like, and then I'm, what in the world is that? And then I'm like Abby, shine the flashlight. She goes, oh, well, it's this little like oil stick. And, and I'm like, what does it say? It says zero. Oh, good. No oil pressure. Um, all right, not big deal. I still got brakes. The little night light comes on. And Abby, shine the flashlight. What is that? Oh, no air pressure. You have no air brakes. Oh, good. Um, this is a bus, by the way, you know, I've got no air brakes, um, no oil pressure, my engine's overheated, my transmission's overheating, and I got no dash. Okay, no, no problem, I can still see. <laughs> Two minutes later, I'm like, is the road getting really dim? Is the road getting really dim? What's going on? And Abby's like, I don't know, I can't see very well." I'm like, what in the world? I got no headlights. I'm between Boone and Blowing Rock in the Appalachian Mountains at night. Nothing. I can't see, and everything's, everything's dying. Isn't this a great start to the whole, like, God's planning for us to take a sabbatical? I'm like, uh-uh, I'm not doing this. So Eva starts crying, and uh, I was like, what's wrong, honey? And she goes, I'm afraid we're all going to die. <laughs> I'll kid you not, that was what she said, my five-year-old. I'm afraid we're all going to die. And I thought, that's not unreasonable. <laughs> I couldn't tell her that, of course, she's not here, that's good, (laughs) she's in Grace Kids, that's good, and I thought, man, it's not such an unreasonable fear, you know, (laughs) that's pretty realistic, and, uh, but I thought, you know, honey, it's okay, God's going to care for us, yeah, he's going to protect us, I'm like, oh, God help, (laughs) we found a place, we pulled off, Um, God provided, very beginning, um, called the guy and said, hey, just want to let you know what happened, by the way, I know we've already paid for it, I know it's already mine, I know we already have the title, by the way, I want to let you know what happened, He came out the next morning, long story short, he took the RV back, um, refunded the money to us, Um, we were able to give the RV back. That was just God's provision at the very outset, but we got home that next night, by the way, we ended up staying overnight in Blowing Rock in the end of March, I think, and I didn't know how cold it gets in Blowing Rock at the end of March when you're staying in an RV without heat and not any electricity and everything's failed. It gets real cold in the 30s, so um, God God provided for us, we didn't have anything with us because we weren't planning to stay overnight like that. And um, he came out the next morning took the RV back. But when we got home that night, the very first thing that Julie and I agreed was, that, you know what? We're never going to do this. We are not buying an RV. No way. We're not taking a sabbatical either because I don't even know if I want to do this. I just can't handle it. There's no way we can afford to take the eight weeks off. There's no way we can do this trip. There's no way this is going to happen. And so we made a pact that night, Tuesday night. You know what? No way. Uh-uh. What we didn't know is that God was actually moving on somebody's heart. Julie had gone and looked at an RV like a month earlier. We weren't interested. There's this couple that was doing some kind of ministry, and they were living in their RV. They were asking too much for it. We weren't interested, and that was it. Um, never in contact with them again. But God actually, uh, Julie had just met the husband, but God actually spoke to that husband's wife that night she was at, we don't know these people, we, they're not part of a church that we know, they're not part of the group of churches, there's no relationships here, they didn't know our story, and yet God spoke to that lady that night, and she's way home from a, a prayer meeting, and he said, would you consider giving your RV away instead of selling it? She's like, I guess, Lord, and she's telling a story, and then, and then she was like, well, God said, you know, hey, I want you to give it away. She's like, oh, okay, well, who to? And so she's having this internal dialogue, and so um, she's feeling like God's speaking to her, and God says, you know, well, that, there was a lady who your husband met that had six kids. I want you to give it to her, and so she's like, oh, that's weird, and so she went home, told her husband. Her husband starts smirking. He's like, yeah, I already heard from God. He told me that three days ago. I was just waiting for him to tell you, and so the next day, when I'm relaying to Aaron in our staff meeting, that next morning, I'm relaying to Aaron, hey, by the way, RV broke down. Here's what happened. It was crazy, and I was just about to say, there's no way we're doing this RV thing, and I don't really want to go on sabbatical, and yet, Julie called and interrupted the meeting. She was like, hey, by the way, something really weird. This couple wants to give us their RV for free. I'm like, really? No joke? Like, what's the catch? There was no catches. God provided. He, that's how things started. And kind of the rest is history. He provided and continued to provide. He provided the funds to go from, from people in the church. that gave generously. They cared for us. He provided exactly what we needed. I'm grateful for how... Overwhelmingly generous, you as a church have been to us, and kind you've been to us, and supportive, and it's just nuts. Like who's who? So who who supports somebody and saying, you know what, yeah, why don't you go away and have time with God, and, and we're going to help you do that? It's just it's blown us away. It, it's made us feel even more loved and cared for than you can know. And he's he's continued to provide in so many different ways. Um, you know, along the trip, our RV. Um, by the time we got to about Oklahoma. Um, and I didn't know Oklahoma had hills until I was driving an RV up these like mile-long hills in Oklahoma that were, you know, only the slow grade but apparently it was tough on an RV and our RV started overheating and I'm like, oh gosh and so it kept overheating temperatures in the red we didn't find any repair shops within like a couple hundred miles nobody would do the work and then finally we came into this little podunk town in Alamosa, Colorado and I mean podunk town in Alamosa, Colorado if you're from there, I am sorry um, there's just nothing there and it's in the middle of like this flat area, but um, we couldn't find anybody to do work. And so Julie just happened to find this place. Um, and it was like four o'clock. They're just about to close. And he's like, ah, I might take a look at it. I don't know. And we're like, oh no, because everybody else wanted hundreds of dollars to even take a look at it. We pull into this place and I see a scripture verse at the bottom of their sign. It says, you know, in Romans one i I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. And I thought, oh, okay. And um, the guy not only took, he said, like, you know, we're, we're backed up two months. I'm so sorry. We, we have two months of back work that we're not even ha- we're able to do, and I don't think we'll be able to do this. And then so the owner's like, you know what, I'll do it myself. And so within a couple hours, he was able to fix up what it, the problem was, replace some parts, charges less than what we were able to get it diagnosed for. Um, and then all along the way, so many different things like that. We had had Different little teeny breakdowns along the way, and God provided like a parts place just when we needed it in the middle of nowhere. And um, and they even let us try the parts out first to make sure they fit before we bought them. And, and things like a stranger giving us I know it sounds kind of crazy, but you know, we stopped at a little fruit stand, brought some fruit, and we're gonna. She was like, Hey, you know what? Why don't you just take this box of cucumbers? I mean, so it's little ways that just so many different ways that. God provided uh, when the RV, we had this slide in the RV, which is how we were able to like fold a bed out and sleep and stuff for the kids, and so um, nobody would repair it. We were in Moab, Utah, and that is one barren place, by the way. And so we were in Moab, Utah, and nobody could could take us, nobody would look at it, and they were like, I know this guy, why don't you call him? So we called this guy, and he's like, hey, and he said, I'm sorry, I can't help you, you know, I'm on vacation in California but why don't you tell me your problem? So he, we told him the problem and he diagnosed on the phone and we were able to fix it for free. And so just to, so many different things like that. We, the fresh water pump went out. We couldn't find a place to fix it or get the parts. Julie found a place. and They only just had the part, but um, they said, you know what? Actually, it's not your water pump. Here's the thing that's wrong. It'll cost you 12 bucks. Um, and, and then, you know, the car's power steering went out right before we were getting ready to drive down the hill from Sequoia National Park. And if you've ever Heard of, heard of or been to Sequoia, it's this really windy mountain roads, very narrow with like a 5,000-foot drop-off, and I'm not kidding, 5,000-foot drop-off in some places, and so we're just getting ready for Julie to drive down that road so that would make it easier to drive the RV down, and then we found out, boy, the, the power steering had gone out, and what a, that's a good time to find out, by the way, on, on this side of driving down, <laughs> and um, we went, you know, one night we had to, this <laughs> is just going to sound nuts. We our reservation got messed up at one place and so we we camped out at Walmart in in the middle of the night once and God protected us. And um, you know there's Isaiah forty one ten it says, Fear not, I am with you, be not dismayed. I'm your God, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I'll uphold you by my righteous right hand. And, and time after time, God confirmed he was helping us, he held us all along the way. You know, our bikes when we went to Canada, our bikes got stolen. Um, from the back of our car. I came out that morning. It was like 7 in the morning. I was like, what in the world? The bikes are stolen. So I told the person whose house we're staying at. I was like, hey, just want to let you know. And they were like, you need to call the cops. I'm like, I don't want to call the cops because we're never going to get a bike. Nobody gets bikes back. And so I called the police. And I was like, hey, I'm just calling to report some stolen bikes. And she chuckled. And I was like, I know that nobody gets them back. She's like, nah. And I said, you know, I know that it's, you know, it's like, I, 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 it's a good idea to report a theft because you need to know about those things. She's like, yeah, thanks for reporting it. It's pretty unlikely. I don't think you'll get them back. I, hang, hang on. I'm like, what? And then I'm, she put me on hold. I'm like, that was abrupt. I thought Canadians were polite, and, um, which they are, by the way. And so, um, and she's like, hang on, hang on. And then she comes back. She goes, Is your, are your bikes like black and green? I'm like, yeah. Are, are they this brand? Yeah. Oh. Okay, well, um, this is a weird. I've never had this happen before. But when you called, like the same time you're calling, the officer called and he said he had found your bikes four blocks away and he was reporting found. This never happens. I'm like, well, that's really cool. And he put him on the front of his police cruiser, strapped to the push bumper, and brought him over. And, um, you know, just so many crazy things, time after time, God caring for us, small things like Abby had lost her phone in a porta potty at Stanley Park. Um, and by the way, Stanley Park is bigger than Central Park. So, and it's, it's a very, Vancouver's a big city. You know, in case, as an American, you don't know, but it's a pretty big city, several million people. And this is a park that's bigger than, than Central Park. So this is not like a small thing. So she left there somehow It got returned to, a, to another place and, and we were able to come back and find it. And um, Julie, later on in the same day, several hours later, did the same thing at a different place in the park, and we went back a few hours later, and we, uh, it had been turned in. I mean, that just doesn't happen. Little things like that, time after time, um, I don't know where to, there's so many small stories, like, um, and, and a lot of them had to do with porta potties but, um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so two phones in toilets left. Um, there was uh, Sarah lost a walkie-talkie when we were in, in Colorado in a porta potty and then it got returned. At the end of the day, it we got back to us. I mean, you know, it's not like we had our, our names on any of these things, and just randomly... Oh, the first night, uh, the first night stay, we woke up, came out, and really excited to get going, and we had two flat tires in the RV. What a great start. And the dead battery on the car we're pulling. Great. And by the way, I forgot to bring jumper cables, and we're in a national park. That's great. And... Um, just turned out that the guy who was hosting just happened to be there and have jumper cables, and we just happened to have two cans to fix a flat. And, and 9,000 miles later, the tires had not gone flat still. Um, Eva was attacked by a, a big shepherd, some kind of big rescue shepherd, which <laughs> I'm not sure what it's rescuing from, but it bit her, and it lunged at her, but uh, God protected her. And this huge, I mean, this was like a hundred and some pound dog, this huge dog, my little girl, and um, she walked away with only puncture wounds in her backside, which was actually good. There's God's protection in that. And she was able to sleep that night. And the next day, this was nuts. She woke up the next day, I was like, how are you feeling? And she was like, no, nah, I'm fine. Okay, you've got puncture wounds in, you know, in a place that's not comfortable to sit, and we're going to sit all day, you know. And, and she was feeling okay, and within a couple days it healed. Um, you know, a a pretty serious puncture dog bite, and we were frustrated another time, at least I was frustrated another time, when we couldn't get tickets, it's one of the couples, you know, if you plan out a big trip like this, you only have a few different areas you can splurge on, so we're going to splurge, we're going to take the kids to go down in this cave in South Dakota, we're going to take this elevator down, like, I don't know how many stories down this cave, and it's the only way to get down, and we were, I was really disappointed because um, it it didn't work out, and we couldn't go down, and one cave was closed, and the cave wanted to go down, and um, they, they just booked out like a second beforehand, and so I was a little frustrated, and then we found out the next day that, you know what, that cave's elevator broke that day, and so whoever was on that elevator, they didn't get out for a while, that would not have been a good day, and so we avoided getting stuck in an elevator in a cave, and um, you know, one night it was late. I had been frustrated that day because a bunch of things didn't work out the way I wanted to. And so um, we were just barely going to get to a place before it closed and we we're going to stay. And so I missed the turn. Just, I missed the turn. Like, no big deal. I'll take the next turn. Well, they're doing road construction. So I couldn't take a turn for like 20 miles. And so it's like 40 minutes later, I had to turn around, do a, do a detour. Finally, I'm like, I find a gas station to turn around and I got out, I pump gas and and then I go to get back in. I'm like, what's that smell? And one of the kids was like, it smells like rotten broccoli. And that's not a surprise. Eight people in an RV, right? I mean, there's a lot of smells. <laughs> rotten, a lot of stuff, I'll say. And uh, everything from bad breath to everything else. And so, um, you know, Julie and the kids were like, it's probably just a bathroom. And so um, it's not surprising, close quarters. But um, I thought, you know, that doesn't smell right. Something, it's not just rotten. broccoli. Probably rotten. We didn't have broccoli. And then I realized, Look, something's not right. And then I realized, oh, it's It's gas. And so I had the kids all get out of the RV real quick and found that somehow the, one of the burners on the stove in the RV had gotten turned on at some point in our drive and had been filling the RV up with gas. And if I hadn't gotten missed the turn and gotten out and stopped the gas station, I wouldn't have had fresh air come back and I wouldn't have smelled that. We all probably would have kept going and just fallen asleep. And um, so, you know, just so many ways God provided for us, protected us, and cared for us. Um, You know, as we went, it just made me more aware in so many small ways. And there were hundreds of small ways that he provided. That he provides and cares for all of us like that all the time. He provides and cares for you like that all the time. You know, so many things you might think is coincidence in your life. So many things that you're thinking, oh no, these bad things happened. That actually might be God keeping you from something else. Or, you know, oh, no, this is inconvenient for me. Yeah, that, that's probably God caring for you, providing for you, protecting you, even when you don't see it. You know, what, what did you, maybe what a takeaway for you is, you know, God's providing care for us. How has he provided and cared for you? What are some ways? Are you attuned to them? Being away helped us be more attuned to seeing God's provision and care in so many small ways all throughout the day. Are you attuned to those things? How has God provided for you? How has he protected you? How has he cared for you? Are you tuned to all the subtle small ways that he's cared for you? Don't, don't chalk them up to coincidence. You may not see it right away. And I'm not talking about getting rich, but provision of what you need. He says he'll provide, supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But it's not everything you want, but it's everything you need. You might not always see it right away. It might, may not come when, when you want it but it'll come just when you need it not a second earlier sometimes <laughs> uh, may take his provision for granted but i want you to be attuned where's god providing for you where's he caring for you it's it's meant his provision his care is meant for you to look up and see his faithfulness that's how it helped us it, we've seen his faithfulness we've seen his care we've seen his faithfulness in so many small ways our response, then, is, is to do what Peter talks about. First Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he might exalt you, casting your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Now, I have something to confess. I was not a model of what to do when all these things went, went wrong. <laughs> and there were like a hundred other things, by the way. When things went wrong, when I didn't get what I wanted, when when I wasn't in control, when I didn't get what I expected, I I wasn't the guy I wanted to be. I didn't always respond well at the time. But it was good. And what was God faithful in? He was faithful to reveal my need. God is faithful to reveal our need for him. That, that's what God showed us even more. I learned even more. God is faithful to reveal our need for him. And sometimes he does that through frustrating our plans and through difficulties and through challenges and through our own sin. And I saw a lot of my own sin. People were like, hey, how'd you guys all get along? I'm like, everybody else was fine. It was just dad. And they laughed. I'm like, no, really. No, really. They were all okay. It was just me. you know." And, and, um, and I think that was really true. You know, um, you know when Paul talked about himself being the worst of sinners, I'm like, I think that was my experience. I'm thinking I was the worst sinner on my sabbatical, by far. You know, was it a holy thing for you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It wholly showed me my need for God. Uh, it was holy. And it wholly showed me my sinfulness and my need for holiness. And that was very, very good. You know, um, a major part of being a Christian is sanctification and that God makes us more like him. He he rescued us and he redeemed us and that's wonderful to celebrate but he did it for a purpose that was to conform us to the image of his son. We often like quoting. I like to quote Romans 8, right? You ever like to quote Romans 8, 28 and 29? I like to quote that all the time, right? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Yeah, all right. For those who called according to his purpose, here's the good of the things, what he's talking about. For those he foreknew, he predestined, what's the good? To be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What is God's goodness that he is working all things, through all things? He, the goodness he's working is to conform us to the image of his Son. But you know what? When we're not like Jesus and he makes us more like Jesus, you know how he does that? By revealing where we're not like Jesus by revealing how sinful I am. And I gotta be honest, I don't like conforming sometimes (laughs) um, because it means getting rid of things in me that don't conform to his image. Getting rid of the things that aren't Christ-like, it's necessary that it be more Christ-like and sometimes that is painful. So my sabbatical was great and it was painful. (laughs) So it sounds funny. You're like, oh no, 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 this was good. This is really, really good. You know, God often has to expose the true ugliness of our sin to us for us to see it so we can repent of it, hate it, and start putting it to death. And, and, and it's wonderful. On this side, it's wonderful. These things aren't done. I'm not completely sanctified. I don't, I, until I get to be with heaven, which one day will occur, I'll be working on these things. But these are good things. You know, sometimes it's easier to see somebody else's sin, but... And we get used to seeing our own sin and blind to it or comfortable to it. And it's those sweet moments, bittersweet moments, that God says, you know what, you've got to see this. It's not so attractive. You need some work here. And you know what, this is good because I want to make you like Jesus. And this is an area that you don't even know you're not like Jesus. So in order to be conformed to his image, it means needing to see just how sinful we are. You know, I was thinking about, after we came back, this sounds silly, but after we came back, we had a coffee maker, it sat for two months, you know, at our home, and, and so I went to make coffee, and it was terrible, and like, what's wrong with this, and I opened up the coffee maker, something doesn't smell right, so I started cleaning it, soaked in this cleaning solution, and got shocked by what came out of the coffee maker, and stuff started flaking off, and like, I didn't even know that pot was dirty, but it's a different color, it's not, it's not bronze, it's actually silver, and um, the stuff started flaking off in different places, and didn't even know it was there. And mold had gotten inside, and you know, and I saw it, it. It got loose from soaking it, and I was able to scrub it out. And but you know, if it didn't taste bad, it wouldn't have done anything. And if I didn't start to respond and clean it, then all that stuff wouldn't have gotten loose, and we couldn't have taken care of it. And it's kind of like that for us in our lives. That if you don't, if you don't realize that, hey, your behavior tastes bad, you know, your behavior stinks. If you don't realize that, if God doesn't show that to you, you're going to walk around with an area that is keeping you from being more like Jesus. And so God is gracious. It doesn't feel that way at the time, by the way. Um, It feels like everybody else is, no, it's not my sin, it's everybody else's the problem. If you're getting angry when somebody else does something, that's your issue. Um, When things don't go your way, and you're not in control, and you get angry in response, the problem is not the situation, the problem is in your heart, and it's just getting revealed. I love the old illustration David Paulson used to give, and he would say, you know, that if you take a sponge, you, you soak it in some, some dirty water, you pick it up, you might not see the dirt, but you squeeze it, dirt comes out. Why does dirt come out when you squeeze it? Well, it's, it's, you might say, oh, it's the it's circumstances that are squeezing that it makes that dirt come out. Well, no, they're just revealing what the junk that was in there. And so God has graciously done that to some degree in some different areas with anger and expectations and control and things in my life. I'm like, you know, that's good. It's really good. And, you know, when I didn't get my way, my sin was exposed. I didn't get what I wanted. Things broke down. Family members frustrated me. My family confronted me. It wasn't easy. It was painful. I didn't like it, but it was good. And it's humbling, right? It's humbling. You say, you know what? I, I got some stuff I got to deal with. It made me not like my sin, though. It makes me want to get rid of it. And isn't that good? You know, what's God wanting to show you? Where have you become complacent? Where have you become, you know, okay with areas in your life that don't smell so good? That stink a little, that, that aren't the way they should be? You know, I learned afresh that my biggest problems is, it's not others, it's not circumstances, it's, it's remaining sin in my own heart. That's my biggest problem. My own need for sanctification, church, our own need for sanctification is great. Your biggest problem is not other people inconveniencing you. It's not circumstances. It's not you not being in control. It's not things not going your way. It's not um, you not having what you want. It's, it's remaining sin. And when we're frustrated and challenged. It reveals something. It reveals what we're wanting. And often what we want is not in conformity with what God wants. Often our desires don't conform to the desires of Jesus. So this means to be conformed to the image of Jesus means to be conformed to what he wants, what he desires. And often our desires are not what he desires. And this, those things get exposed? That's God at work. That's really good. Don't despise that if God's at work and you're like, I'm just seeing all this sin in my life. You know what? That's God at work. What a grace it is when God Lovingly corrects us. You know my first response though? I think it's like most of us. What's your first response, by the way, when, when you are just seeing so much of an area in your life that you're like, I'm just a mess? You ever, are you like, yay? Anybody here like, yay? I don't think so. My first response is, you know what? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bonehead. I'm an idiot. You know, I start having this internal dialogue. I get discouraged and despondent. Think I'm never going to change. But you know what Hebrews 12 speaks a better word in the midst of experiencing the revealing of our sin. Hebrews 12 says if you've forgotten the exhortation addressed to you as sons and daughters by the way, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom what? Whom he receives. It's a sign. When God is bringing correction to me, when God's bringing correction to you, it's a sign of the fact that God is actually not rejecting you, he receives you. That's nuts. Right? We can feel like rejection by God when he reveals sin in our lives as believers. We can feel like God's rejecting us. No, that's God saying, you know what? I want you to know that I'm receiving you. This is, I correct those I receive. That's crazy. That's not how we are. When my sin is revealed, I feel guilty and convicted. It's meant for me to see that God loves me. It goes on in in verses 7 to 9. It says, it's for discipline you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, which we've all participated, then you're illegitimate children, not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Live. It's a sign that we're a child. If God has disciplined you, if He is disciplining you, if He's revealing sin, if He's correcting you, if it is painful, it's a sign that He receives you, that He adopted you as a son, that He, is, he has placed His Spirit in you and that He, he wants to give you life. It's, it's meant for you to see that you're not an orphan, you're a child. I love in verse 11 of Hebrews 12, it says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful. That's true. I was in a lot of pain in that regard. Rather than pleasant. But later yields the peace. Here's the the thing. Here's what what discipline does. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The peaceful fruit of knowing that we have his righteousness that's being perfected and wrought in us. To those who've been trained by it don't reject, don't become despondent, don't despair, don't become discouraged, don't wallow in discouragement, and think that's a humble response when you experience this point. That's a normal response if our eyes remain on ourselves. What I needed to do, what all of us need to do, say, wait a minute. I'm despondent, and despairing because I'm looking at myself, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm looking to myself to fix myself, and realizing that I can't, and so I'm stuck in despair. And instead, God says, "No, I want you to see that I receive you, that I love you, that I've adopted you and that I'm at work in you, and I want you to have peaceful fruit of righteousness." He wants us to share in His holiness. He wants us to, to be more like Him. Here's in verse 12, it says, "How we can respond." How do we respond? How, how should I and how I've, has God been showing me how to respond as I've seen more and more of my sin? It's that therefore, lift your drooping hands. Why? Oh, because He loves us. Because we're His children. Because He receives us. That in the midst discipline is how we can lift drooping hands. That's how, how we're meant to respond when He reveals sin. Not with, oh, I'm such an awful person. Well, yes, but you know what? He receives you, He's working in you, He's adopted you. There's hope. Not because of you, but because of him. Lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight paths for your feet so that what's lame might not be put out of joint, but rather healed. This discipline's meant to heal us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, show us the right way to go. I learned that and I also learned to see my inability. God shows us, he's faithful to show us our inability. I can't beat my sin with my own self-effort. You can't beat your sin with your own self-effort and you were never meant to. You know, in Galatians, Paul talks to the Galatians and he corrects them. He says, you didn't begin this on your own. Do you think you're going to complete it? Don't think, Christian, that you're able to complete your sanctification on your own. Like, God, I got this now. But you know, what we can be lulled. I, I've been lulled into that sense that, you know what? God, thanks for the conviction, now I just got to get to work. And that's true, but we don't actually change ourselves. God uses those efforts. He, he, we participate with him, but God's the one who actually brings change. He wanted me to see, once again, I'm wholly dependent on God's grace, desperate for him to change me, enable me. You are too. Where do you see your inability? That inability is meant for you to look to him for his ability and to look up in hope that he receives you, he's adopted you, you're his child, he's working, and he will train you with it. I learned something else too. I learned that I need God personally more than ever. Now it sounds kind of silly for a pastor to say, right? But you know, sometimes we can just fail to see just how desperate we are for God. And I think all of us need to live there. Desperate each day. You struggle with getting up in the morning and saying, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like getting up having quite, we're never gonna feel like it by the way. But when you begin to see, I, I just, I'm desperate. I need, I need God. You know what happens? He is faithful To reveal himself. And when we see our weakness, it's really good. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? It doesn't say in our ability. I would like to rephrase that, Paul. I'd like to say for God's power is seen in my ability. And that would be heretical. And... But that's how I think sometimes, right? You ever think that way? And we're like, oh gosh, I'm so weak. Yeah. That's so we don't trust in our ability, so we trust in his ability. My power, his, his power is made perfect in my weakness. So Paul says, therefore I boast all the more gladly of what? Of my weakness. Why? So the power of Christ may rest upon me. Let me ask you this. If you were deluded into thinking that your, your, your hope lied with your ability and your power, do you think that's any real hope at all? Say that again. If, if your hope lies in your ability, is, is there really any hope for you at all? So it's good that we see our weakness. Why? So we can see where our true hope is, where there's true power. If we could redeem ourselves, we wouldn't need the power of the Redeemer. If we could rescue ourselves, we wouldn't need His power to rescue us. You know, you alone can rescue. You alone can save. Why do we boast in our weakness? Oh, so his power can rest on me. Because you know what happens when we're trusting our ability? We're not looking to his power. So his power is not resting on us in that sense. You you understand what I mean? We're not not appropriating his power if we're self-reliant, self-sufficient, looking to our ability and aware of how strong, how good we are, and that we're going to do this. You know who you're not looking to? God in that moment. That's the worst thing ever. So God brought me to a place of weakness so I could see that, oh, let me look to who, where I can really get power so the power of Christ may rest on me. And that's good. Where are you looking? What ability are you trusting in? Are you disdaining weakness? Don't. Look to the only place that has power to change you, Jesus and his power. Another thing I learned real quick, we're just going to finish up. By the way, I'm going to take the same amount of time, but I'm almost done. It's okay. Related to that, his love and his faithfulness are not related to my ability. You know, I didn't feel like it, but every time after a challenge or a problem or my own sin, we were able to look back and see God's faithfulness and had nothing to do with something I fixed or did. I saw afresh. fresh. I couldn't stop sinning. Oh my gosh, I'm just, I'm such a bonehead. You I'm just getting angry all the time. What, what's the problem? Something's wrong with me. Yeah, I need Jesus. And, you know, it began to drive me to seek God anymore in my desperate need for him daily. Let your weakness, let your sin, let your inability point you, teach you to see that his faithfulness is not related to your ability. It never was to begin with. What ability does a dead person have to save themselves? It says we were dead in our sins. We were enemies of God. A dead man can't respond and yet God enabled us and made us able to respond. That is a wonderful lesson to learn and to live in is that it's not related to our ability and even as a believer it's still not related to your ability. I love the story of David. It's been on my my mind the last few weeks. The story of David, you know, the man after God's own heart. And you're like, oh, David's such a great guy. And then he goes and commits adultery with Bathsheba and kills her husband. He failed in many ways as a parent. A lot of ways. He made a lot of mistakes. He was a man of blood. But you know what? At the end at the end of his life, before he, just before he died, in 2 Samuel 22, here's what David declares. In 2 Samuel 22, 51, he says, great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. How could David say that? Because it didn't depend on, God, on David, it depended on God. God brought the salvation. God showed steadfast love. It, it wasn't because David was so steadfast It's not because you're so steadfast. It's not because you're able. It's not because I'm able. He brings salvation. He shows steadfast love. It says, and to his offspring forever. You know what? We are his offspring through Christ Jesus. Another thing I learned from living in a really nice rectangular box I don't think I ever showed you a picture of that. I don't know if you can go back to that or not, if it's possible even. I don't even know if it's possible. I don't know. We're, we have a new program. So um, this is the rectangular box. And then a, the next one over to I have another picture. That's the box we lived in. It was a really big box. It was great. We loved it. It was awesome provision. And go to, I think we have another one of us. That's me driving. And then the um, next one, that's the the table. And then another one. Okay, this is the sleeping arrangements for all the kids. Um, we were packed in there. The kids were packed in there. Julie and I had our own bed, so we were cool. But um, they, they were packed in. Everybody shared a bed except for the person who actually got the air mattress on the floor. That was really cool um, because you didn't have to share a bed. Um, but the problem is it was actually really cool. And I mean cold. And so what we didn't know is being away um, in, in all these high-altitude places, it cut down to like the 30s at night. And so the person on the air mattress actually was cold. Um, we had to cut the heat on. But anyway, so... Um, something I learned living together in that 300 square feet for two months it's that God is faithful but he at work in us to grow us in contentment he wants us to be content in him he's faithful to be at work in us to grow contentment and sometimes he does that by confining us to be content with less and that's, that's one of the things he did with us he, I didn't expect to grow in contentment I, didn't, I wasn't looking like oh I'm going I'm to go away and grow in contentment but you know what when you when you all have one toe to close for a few months, you realize that, hey, we don't need a ton. And we had a couple pair of shoes each. You know, we need, you don't need a lot. And the diversity of our meals was limited. You know, some, things we just didn't think of. Okay, we, have, we can only have like this much clothes per person. That's it. We can have a couple pair of shoes. We, we can have, you know, like our diversity of meals are not going to be, we're going to have the same stuff a lot, you know, because you can only make so many things in an instant pot, you know. Um... And even then, you can't even cook while you're driving, which means like a lot of sandwiches. I wasn't a big sandwich fan to begin with, um, but I'm just content now for food. And, um, you know, 1 Timothy 6 6 says, Now there's great gain in godliness and contentment, for we brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. And I know it sounds silly, but actually, God showed us even more just hey, we just need something to eat, and we need some clothes. Not a ton of clothes, and we need to, you know, eight of us live in a 300-square-foot box. You know, it, it actually helped us learn to let go of attachment to things, you know, and after very little water pressure in an RV. Um, when, you know, when, you know, when the kids are opting, like, hey, dad, can I pay $2 for that six-minute shower, uh, can, you know, at the, at the stall that's not so clean? You know that the water pressure is bad, and it's not so great. And they're like, hey, you know, I gotta go there and this lukewarm water for six minutes, and then you're like, oh, no, <laughs> it ran out. <laughs> what do you do now? Um, you know, we went to sites that didn't have sewer hookups and I didn't realize how important sewage is. <laughs> I learned a lot. I won't go into detail there. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know that, you know, things like bathrooms that I took for granted. You know, eight of us sharing one bathroom. I, I didn't realize that that was an issue until we did. And then I realized, hey, you know what? We can do this. And, you know, we didn't have electric hookups sometimes. I, I realized I, I took electricity for granted. You know, things like running water, heat, air conditioning, you know, electricity, sewer. I realized those aren't givens, and I've always treated that in my life like a given. And I realized, you know what? No, um, we're just in the last century, really, where we've we're given these things, and yet we can be so so discontent and realize, man, there's so many ways we're just so God's so generous to us. You know, what do you have in your life that you can be grateful for? What do you have in your life you can be grateful for? Do You have a place to sleep. Do you have food. You have clothing to cover you. I'm not saying you have like all that you want, all name brands. You have, you have clothing. You have food. Paul says, "With that, we'll be content." And you know why? Because he says, "There's great gain in godliness with contentment." Then I also learned, somebody else too, is that you know what? I don't need. I disconnected from one of the things that we talked about was us disconnecting, me disconnecting from social media, from contact with people, from my phone. Um, from posting to Facebook and that kind of stuff and from news and so I stopped doing those things for seven and a half of the eight weeks. I took a few days before I came back to kind of be reacclimated in the news but almost all the eight weeks, I was completely off of all news, all Facebook, all that kind of stuff. I posted one thing because I just wanted to rejoice in what God did to bring those stolen bikes back but that was it. Um, you know, I think entertainment wise, we watched maybe three movies together in eight weeks. We didn't watch TV, nothing else. I didn't miss it. I didn't miss it. And then I realize, you know what, how much time is wasted and I fill with all those things that they don't bring satisfaction and we, yet we sometimes look to social media or news, entertainment uh, to, to give us fulfillment or give us a sense of belonging, a sense of satisfaction to entertain, to astra- distract. All well, that's kind of noise. I think God wants us to learn contentment. I'm not, I'm not saying that we should completely unplugged from society, but, you know what, maybe try saying, hey, you know, what, what happened, what am I attached to? Whatever it is that I'm attached to, what would happen if I detached from it for a little while? You know, what do I find that I just kind of gravitate to when I've got time on my hands, that I'm kind of just eating like cotton candy, you know? What do I gravitate, what do I just kind of default to? Do I default to social media, entertainment, do I default to sports or whatever else it is or music what default to look for for comfort or an escape or entertainment and, and you know what try fasting from that thing you know try, try fasting to see how attached you are to it and then ask God to cultivate contentment in you instead and, and I think it's going to do something good you're, you're going to see that you don't need those things as much what you need is God there's so many other things I don't have time to go into all those things just God's care consistently throughout all those things, his care for the church. Uh, uh, scripture keep coming, kept coming to mind in uh, Luke 12, 6 says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, you're more valued than many sparrows. God showed me that he loves me, he values me more than the sparrows because he values his son and I am in him. The last thing I want to share with you is I, I learned to see God's faithfulness through you, through His church. God shows His faithfulness to, through His church. Don't discount people in the church caring for you and say that you know what? I feel like I'm distant from God. Really, is He speaking to you through so many people trying to care for you and love you and reach out to you in the church? That's God's faithfulness to you. God's God shows His faithfulness through arms, through hands, through feet, through legs of other people in the church. I feel distant from God. Really, well, plug into the church and you'll see God's faithfulness. I was overwhelmed by your care, by your affection, by your love, your generosity. And we've grown in our affection and gratitude for even more. He's shown his faithfulness to this church family as well. And he he reminded us of how much we need fellowship. And what a joy it was to be back last week just to be a part of the church and to worship and, and be in fellowship. And I just realized even more how much I need fellowship personally. It's also grateful to see that the church doesn't depend on me, that we're still here. You're still here eight weeks later. And God brought eight different pastors to preach each week, and I heard so many good testimonies this week about how each one brought a different word that was an encouragement to people. You know, God provides the different churches that we're partnering with that we're, that we're joined together in this network of churches that we're a part of. Um, so many of those guys came here and they preached, and it was really neat to see God's faithfulness in that you know, I feel awkward today talking about what God showed me in my sabbatical, but I think God tends for all of us to benefit. Church, look back on all the ways God's cared for you. How has God provided for you in the past, this year, this month, this week? How have challenges in the past currently, and currently revealed His faithfulness to you in the midst of difficulties? How has your inability, your weakness reveal Him? How has God revealed your sin, your need for Him this week? God wants us to to draw closer to him so we can experience his grace all the more and often that comes through seeing those things. Have you experienced the pain of correction? See the loving father who's conforming us to him and sharing his holiness with us and, and growing his righteousness in us. God's been faithful to all of us, church. Sometimes it takes work for us to see but as we see God's faithfulness, it's meant to give us hope. Looking back, the last thing we need to do is to see that God's faithfulness is meant to give us hope for his faithfulness in the future. God's faithfulness in the past. You might be struggling with something right now. You might be struggling with difficulties and challenges in your life, loss, You might be struggling with inability right now. You might be struggling with weakness. You might be struggling in different areas of your life. But God's faithfulness to you in the past, and by the way, you've got to do some work to remind yourself of it and to see it and to say, wait a minute, God, I see all the ways in the past you've been faithful. Lord, let that give me fresh hope for your faithfulness in the future because God has more for you in store. You don't have to stay where you've been. You're not defined by your past. You're not defined by your failure. You you can make a fresh start. Why? Because of his faithfulness, not yours. His mercies are new every morning. I'm going to have the band to come up. We'll close with one song. It's uh, Great is Thy Faithfulness with some different lyrics. Um, Before we sing that song, though, I'd love, I want to share with you a song by Sarah Groves who's kind of setting us up for that song. It's morning by morning I wake up to find the power and comfort of God's hand in mine. Season by season, I watch him amazed in all of the mystery of his perfect ways. All I have need of, his hand will provide. He's always been faithful to me. I can't remember a trial or a pain he didn't recycle to bring me gain. I can't remember one single regret in serving God only and trusting his hand. All I have need of, his hand will provide. He's always been faithful to me. This is my anthem, this is my song, the theme of the stories I've heard for so long. God has been faithful, he will be again. His loving compassion, it knows no end. All I have need of his hand will provide. He's always been faithful to me. So let's stand and let's sing Great is Thy Faithfulness together, amen?